In a secular age that offers a buffet of spiritualities, all focused on the self and personal transformation, how is the Christian view similar or different than these other pathways? When everyone is spiritual but few are religious, what is distinctive about following Jesus? And can I be a mystic without God? These are some of the things that we are talking about today. This is the Embodied Faith Podcast with Jeff and Sid Holzklaw, although Sid's not with us today, and we're exploring a neuroscience-informed spiritual formation with a heavy accent on this episode with that spiritual formation within our cultural moment. Uh, as always, we're produced by Grassroots Christianity, which is growing faith for everyday people. I'm really excited to have Dr. Andrew Root with us today. He's the author of more than 20 books, most recently, and the one we're talking about today, is Church in an Age of Secular Mysticism. Why Spiritualities Without God Fail to Transform Us. He is a frequent speaker and host uh, of the quote, this is what it says on your book, the influential podcast, When Church Stops Working. That's straight from your book. So you have to talk to your your agent or your publicist about that. Uh, And lastly, he is the Kerry Oslo Balsam uh, Professor of Youth and Family Ministries at Luther Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota. Thank you so much for being on the show with us today, Andrew. Yeah, it's great. I'm still laughing about influential. I don't know if it is, and I don't know who who pulled that adjective out, but uh, I'm yeah. sure it's th- very for, influential. For underlining it and highlighting it. Yeah, it is in my own mind, exactly. that's for well, sure. Well, that's what I'm hoping Embodied Faith is. It's influential for all 17 people that really love it. So, <laughs> excellent. Well, thank you for being on. When I saw uh, that your book was coming out, I was like, ooh, I really am interested in this uh, topic. Could you, in your own words, just kind of explain, well, like, what is this book and how did you, how were you prompted to write it? It is the church in an age of secular mysticisms that immediately caught me. Uh, I was like, yes, what, like, so, like, how did you, why are you, why did you write this book? Yeah, well, probably two reasons, one intellectual and the other just like socially awkward. And uh, the intellectual one is I've been working a lot with Charles Taylor's work and and just, you know, trying to move that into ministry conversations, yeah. particularly. And one of the pushbacks you often get, I mean, mainly for people who haven't read any of Charles Taylor's work, which is fine because it's 700 pages and it's overwhelming, but they get triggered or they get tripped up over the secular word. Yeah. You know? So they're like, well, how could, how could we be in a secular age if there's I, you know, all these yoga studios everywhere and there's all this mindfulness activity. And it seems like everyone's talking about some kind of uh, fitness as a spirituality. Like how, how could we possibly be in a secular age when everybody is cool being a witch? You know, and right. I think they're just all sorts of spiritualities. And of course, big, a big point of Taylor is this is what happens in this kind of secular age. This kind of secular age produces in a kind of oxymoronic way, all sorts of spiritualities. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's what makes it secular is there becomes all sorts of them. A buffet is the the kind of metaphor I use. Taylor uses this Nova effect of uh, third options, spiritualities that that come out between, you know, a hard atheism and a kind of organized classic forms of religion. So that was one of them is I've written this three volumes that turned into six volumes on uh, ministry in a secular age. It just made a lot of sense to have to really grapple with the spirituality dynamic. The socially awkward moment for writing this book was sitting in a meeting with my colleagues and we're trying to think about like, how do we even talk or help our students think about transformation? What's it needed for pastoral practice when it comes to transformation? 
And I had this idea of like, what if we mined memoirs? You know, like a memoirist, uh, particularly in the last couple decades, has really been telling us stories of transformation. And yet a lot of them have no need for sure for any kind of classic forms of religion within them and and often really want to be spiritual, but don't even have God uh, within them. And I said that they all looked at me like I was nuts. So I uh, retreated to this little monastic cell in my basement that uh, those of you who are watching the video can can see and and, and typed away. Uh, so, you know, uh, being the awkward person, I feel more comfortable down here trying to taking 300 pages to try to articulate what His I really basement mean. does look like in the background, he stole some erector set like pieces and made bookshelves out of them. And now it's just all books. I can't even see anything else. So I love it. That's my yeah, kind of basement. It's, it's a perfect basement monastic cell because my family hates it. So no one ever comes in here ah, except ah, me. There we go. It's, it's a different kind of man cave. So <laughs> you, so you, you jump down this process. Uh, you jump down the rabbit hole of, uh, modern memoirs. Uh, what did you start seeing? You started seeing uh, a couple different spiritual pathways, or you call them mystical pathways, I think, um, yeah. that kind of created some patterns uh, that you started noticing. Um, so, what what was that? What did you start seeing in these? In yeah, and, and in many ways, like I, I do try to map this, and I, I've I've told people early in my work, I was a I was a major diagramaholic. I, I used to love diagrams. Yeah until I started to read other people's diagrams and be like, this makes no sense to me. So I became a recovering diagramaholic and this book is me falling off the wagon big time. Like, you know, we're back to a, a diagram and I'm trying to map something. Uh, I hope it's not as weird as some of the other diagrams back in my past, but, um, but it really, I mean, in many ways I'm stealing this from Charles Taylor too, because Taylor wants to make the argument that the conflicts we have, like, our, our knee-jerk reaction and the kind of the way the media frames things is everything is polarized. You know, there's two sides that are in right. conflict around everything. But his point is, if you look closely, and particularly if you look at people who are uneasy with religion, you start to realize it's it's more of a triangulated conflict than it is uh, just a bipolar. There's three sides, not not two sides. So picking up on that motif, I had that kind of dynamic and play of, these two sides that are uncomfortable with religion. So if, if those who believe something and, and he calls this believing something, believing in something beyond, mm -hmm. and he doesn't mean that as just that kind of pure metaphysical or transcendent, transcendental state. He means it in the sense that, uh, that religion holds that there's something beyond human flourishing. Like human flourishing is important, but there's also something beyond it, like the kingdom of God or, or the apocalyptic fulfillment or something like that. There's something beyond and something that the human life should be for than just having a society that runs well and where people all feel affirmed or something. And then he also says, however, if you look at the conflicts of religion, there's, um, that, that those who hold on to the, the believe in something, they often believe that there's something beyond death, that there's some kind of uh, sense of heaven or, or just kind of some sense of salvation. He says, if you look at those two commitments, you can find two different groups that are opposed to those. Like there's one side that are what he calls exclusive humanists who really just believe that anything, if you believe in anything beyond human flourishing, you end up being incredibly repressive and that your beliefs repress people's real search to find their real self and their, and their uh, real identities or their real desires. And you end up saying that some desires aren't valuable or something like that. And they really worry about that. 
But if you go, there's another side that isn't really concerned with that, but they are concerned that this whole belief that there's a heaven and that God is even loving and kind, uh, that that's just, that just polarizes reality. It just edits out the fact that life is tough and, and, and life's a war and you're on a, you're, you're on a heroic hunt here. And so I could see these two sides as I read all these memoirs that Taylor's perspective really came to life, that there were those who were really seeking a kind of spirituality that would help them find their most inner genius self, their, their, their truest identity, their most, um, kind of find the, the, the complete affirmation for their desires. And then there was another side that it was really about transformation was about this heroic, in some sense, a will to power often came out, but it wasn't always just like, I'm going to crush my enemies, but it was an overcoming, uh, whether it was nature or running marathons or something, there was this kind of heroic act that became a spirituality in many ways. Um, and so I saw those two really playing out. And then this third one of those who holds to religious belief, well, they, that came out too, but it was from a surprising group of people that I, uh, was really, uh, yeah, it was really interesting. Those kind of people who were mainly kind of people who had experienced a, a radical death or, um, I mean, just the, the attic, the attic memoirs were really people who had to claim that there was something beyond. Um, and so they weren't apologetics for people who believed in religion or went to church, but nevertheless, they, they ended up finding their way, um, to claiming classic Christian practices like prayer or that there was a living God. Uh, but it was from a very different dynamic than the other two. Mm. Well, I, I just want to, because I think people know the addict, um, like model, especially the, the 12 step. So like alcoholics and yes. So that would be uh, an example of what you would call the beyond or the religious, because they would say, usually say two things. One is you have to have a higher power that you're connected to. Mm-hmm. And then you say, I am powerless to change this, this addiction. And therefore, and then I identify as an alcoholic uh, because of that. Uh, and those are two kind of realities. Uh, and we'll get, we'll get back to this, but since you mentioned it, I just wanted to make this as a contrast. So that those are both kind of a, a confession of who I am and who the higher power is and a submission to kind of the inevitability of my own situation as well as a submission to the higher power. So that would be the beyonder, but I, there are people who fit in, um, your other category, like the the inner genius category, that deal with addiction and trauma that don't like AA because of that. Like you should not identify with your ailment. Um, you should not call yourself an addict. Uh, that is demeaning. That is limiting. That's a self limiting belief, right? And they'll kind of go through because they want to bolster the self, whereas they feel like the AA approach is actually to demean or destroy. Is that accurate? I just wanted to, since you brought that up, I just wanted to kind of use that as a, as an example. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think underneath this whole, uh, although the argument of this book and the kind of direction I'm trying to go is, uh, I, I'm making a case practically for a certain kind of theological anthropology and that, uh, the two sides, whether it's heroic action or it's the inner genius, whether it's, whether it's the exclusive humanists of the inner genius or the neo Nietzscheans or the counter enlightenment people, as I call them, of the, of the, uh, the heroic action, they have a very high view of the self, of what the self can do, where the beyonder perspective, uh, has a very low view of the self, not in the sense that the self is bad or, or gross or un, unable to be loved, but there's a sense that their own action cannot make things better. Where the other two, it's, it's in you and what you act. And if you can just optimize your action or you can just get over your fears or 
you can just find some inner drive within you. You can overcome all boundaries before you. But these other kind of memoirs where the transformational reality came when the self, when the person said, I give up, Mm -hmm. I surrender, that I really need something outside me and beyond me to change me. Where the other two, in some ways, they conflicted with each other, but they also, they both shared that your transformation, what will change you is you. You just have to, you just have to find it. You just have to be brave enough to find it, or you have to, uh, uh, push away the bad messages and, and you'll find it. Uh, right. I, I, a motif I use is that both others say that you are magnificent, where the beyonder makes this claim that you are in need, that you need something outside of you. So if we were to think you, you have, the, you fell off the diagram chart. So you have a triangle. So at the top of the triangle would be like the religious or the, um, beyond, um, which we'll get to in just a second. And then on the bottom sides, uh, you have what you call like the heroic action, uh, as well as the inner. And then on the opposite end would be the inner genius. Uh, and those, those yeah. two sometimes when they're in conversation with each other will argue. But when a beyonder comes by, then they'll both turn and argue with them. It's like the enemy of my enemy is a friend. And yeah. it is it is a sense in which, uh, so I want to fill that out because I, the way you, you wrote about it, I, I felt was so clear. I was just like, oh, I want to preach a bunch of sermons to help me <laughs> verify that. But it was like, <laughs> on the one hand, there is the the heroic action self that kind of finds their, their true selves in the external world, you were saying, like in the... Um, Sometimes in their own like physical pain or illness, but then oftentimes an adventure, certainly in vocation and accomplishments. Sometimes this is, uh, you know, the act of life, you know, you're finding yourself in what you do and what you have or something like that. Um, so could you fill that out a little bit? Like, how is that looked at as, as a spiritual pathway? Uh, how does that link for like the common person? Like, what does that look like in everyday life? Yeah. And this is one of the interesting things is that these actions why I think they're mystics, you know, like to use that kind of phrase is because they use mystical language. Like there's a sense where they feel taken up and unified in themselves when they do this. But, you know, like just two examples that come out is uh, one is around nature in this. And you have all sorts of these memoirs where people walk. They like, you know, they, they, they walk hundreds of miles and in kind of facing nature and facing their own, um, whether they can conquer it or not changes them um so uh reinar wind is an example i use in this book where she's a welsh woman who loses her house and she's homeless with a husband who is battling a terminal disease and she ends up just walking this like for six or nine months or something she walks this uh this path and then and she has this real dynamic where she says i don't believe in god i don't i don't believe there's Mm. any god at all but this walking, this facing nature, this living just on the land and in that part of the UK, you can wild camp and, and just facing those elements changed her. They transformed her. There's a kind of mystical experience, but without God. But it was inside her ability to do something she never could before. Another example is a kind of vocational sense where I, you really chase your what you think will fulfill you. So there's a, a, a memoir called Yes Chef, um, where this guy just tells the story about how he became one of the top chefs in New York City. And it really had, it cost him everything. Uh, but it was all kind of the heroicism of burning your boats in going for the one thing you want to be the best at in the world and having that singular direction. And, uh, you know, there's no other moral code or anything that can set terms for you. Just doing this thing, just being great at this, 
that can become a kind of spirituality. Mm -hmm. So you feel a certain sense of transcendence as you meet your goals, as you kind of grab them with both hands and you feel empowered um, or by this kind of nature walk. But you can see there's a kind of sense of a will to power of what you can conquer, of what you can overcome. Mm -hmm. And that is oftentimes like the, the power of positive thinking or kind of name your goals and claim it. And there's probably all sorts of like Christian spiritual analogs that we could kind of look at. Um, you know, but this like the the long the ultra long distance runners or the you know bodybuilders extreme, uh, and but then also uh, like being the apex at a sport or athlete or a job or something like that, where you're just you're giving it all um, and you're finding your truest self or something like that through that external activity. So that'd be the one side of the yeah. the triangle. On the other side of the triangle, you have uh, the sense of well, you don't look out into the world for that transcendent. You, you're looking inside, you're turning inside. There's this sure. inner genius that you need to discover, that you need to uncover, that you need to return to. Um, so can you fill that out a little bit? Like what does that kind of spiritual pathway yeah. or that journey look like? Yeah, I mean, there, there is a sense of accomplishment in them often, you know, like external accomplishment or else, you know, there wouldn't be a memoir to tell of sure. like, you know, where you started sure. and where you ended up. But the, the, the kind of drive of the transformation is that you realize that you, you have what you need, that you are really special and that there, it often there's this connection of messages that have been negative, that you, that you've had people not affirm your, who you are as a person or who your identity is or your, your ability to express that identity. Um, and you found a way to really find your voice and speak your most genuine your most genuine self. So an example I use in the book, which I think is a really great memoir, but is Brandy Carlyle's memoir. Like she has this kind of deep sense of finding that she, she's, she's known herself as always kind of been um, uh, excluded in some ways. And, and she finally finds her inner voice. She finds her inner talent. She finds her ability to express her most truest self. Um, and that does win her a kind of performative self dynamic, but it, uh, it is, it's more internal. There's a sense of, a, of internally finding who you really are. Uh, another example of this is there's all these romance, uh, uh, memoirs where, where people fall in love and that changes them. And, and they realize, uh, that they, who they really love is this person, or, you know, they realize that they, they fall in love, that they, they didn't know that they could love someone of the same gender and then they fall in love with that person. And in that kind of finding truly who they are um, changes them. Yeah. Um, so there is this yeah. sense of kind of, and this is again why I call them mystics because there's a kind of path where you find this union, this connection, you find that you're one with the universe in some way. Um, but again, what's really just odd is no one would have ever thought you could have these kind of mystical union experiences uh, at least within the West, I probably should say, without there being some God at play or some divine force at, at play. Mm -hmm. And for both of these other, you know, the, the heroic action and the inner genius, that, that, that's not necessary. Mm -hmm. um, you don't really need God. You need spirituality, but you don't really need God at play. And so that would be kind of like the main difference between the top of the triangle, which is, yeah. Um, so instead of saying in different ways, you are the author of your life. So go fulfill that adventure, accomplish that goal, or find, dig inside, find your true self, uncover the, 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 you know, the genius within. You are the author of your life. But instead, the, what you're suggesting, and, and I agree with, you know, through the spiritual traditions as well, actually, um, 
wow. you receive yourself from beyond. Like, and so the kingdom of God is breaking in as Jesus, you know, uh, you know, mm-hmm. announced. And so there's not something that kind of, um, you know, burbles up, you know, from within us or around us, but actually it's coming from outside. Uh, and so when yeah. you label the kind of the practices as those of like confession and surrender, um, rather than mm-hmm. uncovering your inner genius or going out with heroic action and doing something in the world, could you kind of, what is the contrast yeah. that you're trying to name there? Uh, and then what yeah. are the spiritual traditions that you're kind of like pulling from? Yeah, well, to, to, to start there, I mean, yeah, for good or for ill, I mean, there's a deep sense of uh, kind of early Protestant um, kind of Lutheran sensibility here in, in, in Luther sensibility of whatever will change itself. I mean, I, I think this is a, a really unique, well, I don't mean, unique is probably not the right word, but maybe an important theological perspective inside this kind of late capitalist neoliberal time where we're all kind of our own little performers in some sense, our own little businesses. And it feels like competition has become every part of our lives constantly all the time. And thanks to social media, we're getting like immediate feedback on how we're doing with the meal we just cooked or the walk, you know, our whole lives are broadcast. And I think there's something really timely about Luther's assertion that whatever will save you is not within you. It's foreign. It's outside. It, It has to come and meet you. And the more you act, the more vigorously you act to try to save yourself in whatever way or to satisfy yourself or uh, to, to, to find your own accomplishments, the more you'll spin your wheels and get stuck. Mm-hmm. And I think this, this is the, one of the major claims I'm trying to make here is that these other forms of transformation, one, I, I'm not a hater of them. I actually think they do some nice things for people. They do help people cope with stress and they do, they do uh, help maybe infuse meaning and purpose with people. I'm I'm definitely not a hater on them, but I just don't think that they can go to the depth that we really need, that they can really deal with, um, yeah, the struggles we have inside this neoliberal age. And so it is a recovery of this low anthropology that says none of our actions in themselves will ever save us, that the action we need to take is to surrender and stop and to wait for, for God's action is to wait for something beyond us and to be beckoned from beyond us. And the very thing that will save us is outside of us. So it is it is beyond us. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's a hard message, I think, in this time to say that you need to, to stop, first of all, is a hard message. And then to say that you need to make a confession and surrender is hard. But there were these memoirs, you know, and again, they were, these were not memoirs of the kind of religious leftovers, you know, like the people who are still going to church or people who are trying to make an apologetic for Christianity. These were people who were far outside the church, but discovered something really quite profound is that they realize, and this again, why the addict is probably the quintessential person here. They realized that the more they tried to act to substantiate themselves, the more it spun them um, and trapped them in themselves, which is one of those big moves of the addict is you realize all your most clever actions just make mayhem and and ruin your life. They don't connect you to something deeper. They don't they don't bring um, the kind of salvation or uh, the, the kind of communion and connection that you're yearning for. But there were other ones too. You know, there were these memoirs of people who had had great loss. Um, like there was one uh, called the Wave about this woman who loses her whole family um, in the in the tsunami, and uh, it's. It was really one of the most moving ones I read. It was just, it was unbelievably moving. But it, it, her big transformation comes at the end 
where she's been running from her grief, just continuing to run from her grief, keep herself busy, never, never look into the grief, never look into it. It's just too, she lost her two young children, her husband and both her parents in this, and she couldn't do it. And the uh, memoir ends with her back in the same ocean, like seven years later on a boat trip and a huge um, blue whale surfaces. And she, first of all, is on that boat thinking, I, I can't do this. My my youngest son or my oldest son, Vic, loved whales. And as soon as I see that whale, I'll think of him and I'll, I'll just crumble in grief. So she'd spent her whole life and she was going to do it in this experience too, just kind of blocking herself off from the grief. But this was the first time she just surrendered to grief and she found something reach for her that was far outside of her and, and change her. Um, and so there's, and then of course there's these memoirs of people who are actually going to die. Um, like when breath turns to air and unwinding the miracle where these people surrender to the fact they're finite and that they're going to die. And these books end with the most beautiful articulations of love for their children and what will come next. But the transformation is not do more, optimize the self, perform better there to let go mm. and open your hands uh, to receive God. And there's a, uh, you know, the text, be still and know I'm God. Um, I just learned recently doing work for another project that a way to translate that in Hebrew is, uh, is it, it is a contemplative move, but it also means put down your hands. Mm. Be still and know I'm God. Put down your hands and know I'm God. Oh, interesting. Um, put down your hands in the sense of stop fighting me, but also put down your hands and stop doing all this stop yeah. trying to perform all this just put down your hands and know that i am god and that's what i ultimately see in that beyonder path is this the other two are really putting up your hands and either you know fighting or doing um and the beyonder path you put down your hands and you put yourself in a place of confessing that you need something outside of you to meet mm. you i love how uh hebrew is a very like visceral embodied kind of language you know like all of our translations, it talks about like hearts and feelings, and, but like really it's like your guts and your kidney and your like stomach, like all these, all the emotion words are like actually parts of your body. So I want to switch gears and kind of ask, and this might be a hard question. I'm not like saying a trap or anything, but so you're using like addiction language and the surrender language to kind of illustrate that. But I know uh, a lot of listeners on this podcast, we did have a lot of episodes uh, that talk about trauma and how do we move yeah. through trauma or toxic shame? Um, and I know those pathways often for people are uh, ones in which they're recovering a sense of agency and needing to build up a sense of self that has been destroyed through the abuse, the trauma, um, and the and finding themselves. And and I wrestle with them, and we talk we, about the like dying to yourself or carrying your cross language that Jesus offers. Uh, and then other people saying, you know, like my work is to find myself um, outside of mm -hmm. this abusive relationship or beyond this uh, toxic situation. Uh, and so have you run across memoirs or situations where, you know, that could kind of address that? Um, like, I just wondering how, how the sense of confession or surrender might fit with uh, what you're, what you're talking about and how it might fit yeah. in kind of those other recovery narratives beyond just like addiction. Yeah, I think it's a really important question. And, and, and I do think that like these, well, and maybe the way I'm trying to frame it does kind of go against the current of where we're at. And I think there's good reason that we're worried about, you know, certain kind of narratives that, that under, end up kind of, uh, uh, hurting people in this way or, 
uh, make people feel like, uh, yeah, at the core of their being, they're not good enough or something like that. But there is this just interesting, I think, cultural dynamic is that um, if we don't have a certain theological perspective that that uh, can can open us up to something outside of us and then connect us to something deeper than those ones that seem liberating. I mean, this is, I guess, my perspective, the liberation of just love yourself and find your inner self and or, you know, find yourself as you find how 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 capable you are by running marathons, you know, um, those will ultimately demand more and more action. And we do know like depression and burnout are just everywhere in this cultural context that it will always demand that you do more, that you push further. And so I don't think these, I, I personally don't read the Christian tradition where it says kind of surrender to self is that the self isn't, doesn't have value, but it's trying to remind us that we are the kind of creatures who need others that need to be right. found with others and needing, being the kind of creatures who need others. So to confess isn't to say, um, I'm awful, I'm terrible, or other people are better than me. The kind of confession and surrender I mean is I am not the kind of creature that can substantiate my own being. I need to be in relationship with others. I need to be in community with others. But that really does mean that we have to have a different perspective than thinking of the self as always performing for recognition always trying to overcome something to prove something that it's always about w's and l's you know are you taking more w's or are you taking more l's like that kind of perspective i mean i do worry about this maybe this is controversial is that a lot of our um a lot of our kind of therapeutic language which is really needed for important reasons in this time but if we're not careful we don't recognize how much this the therapeutic movement is also really embedded in certain, certain capitalist perspectives mm-hmm. that it really, um, is, yeah. I, I mean, it, in, in many ways wants to solve problems, to optimize the self, to help you, um, kind of hack issues. And I'm particularly thinking about like apps you can use to, you know, it, to, right. to kind of get your, 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 your better help right now. You know what I mean? Like, Freud or Jung wouldn't have ever imagined that you could somehow solve the human discontent and angst that's within us. You know, that there, there's something about the human spirit that is always wrestling with and yearns for something beyond. And to, I think all other spiritual traditions, you know, have, have had this kind of sense of surrender, whether it's been kind of certain forms of Buddhism or certain forms of Islam. There's always been a sense that there has to be something beyond. And, um, in, in some ways, only a kind of therapeutic capitalism does it. And I, again, I think we have to be real dangerous, uh, uh, real on guard against the danger of spiritual abuse in this. Right. Um, and, it, and we have to be very careful with that. But I think these traditions also point to something that's, that's more liberating than just do more, um, uh, you know, optimize yourself. Yeah. Well, the, and I'm just brainstorming, you know, but I think there are certain kind of like therapeutic modalities that could follow into one side or the other. It was where you have more of the uh, cognitive yeah. behavioral therapy, which I'm going to change my thoughts. I'm going to have a better mindset um, and we're going to go do this. Um, you have some um, 
maybe more somatic traditions or psychoanalytic, you know, where it's like, we're going to find that true self that had been lost in childhood or society has, you know, denied those desires. We're going to uncover these layers and kind of, you know, find that again. Uh, and then that we'll celebrate that. Uh, and I do think that there is, uh, I think all these have like roles for community, um, yep. such that, you know, for the heroic action spiritual path, where you have those that are cheering you on, who are, have the same or similar goals. We're going to do this together. We're going to optimize. We're going to share notes about how to, uh, how to do this. Uh, and then you have, uh, the communities, um, this is going to sound negative. I don't, I, just, I don't know the right word of, of communities of affirmation, which is, oh, you found yourself. Now I will celebrate with you. And then you will celebrate with me yep. on my community. Um, and, and so there's the, the shared kind of affirmations. Um, and, and again, at one level, like that's not wrong, right? All of human well, interactions yeah. function like that and some have, right? Uh, but I think, um, this true surrender, cause I think a lot of like the, the, the kind of interpersonal neurobiology and a lot of the uh, attachment or, you know, s some, not all of the trauma work will basically say, well, you, you can't get out, out of where you are without someone else who's not mm -hmm. you uh you didn't get into your mental illness primarily by yourself and you're not going to get out of it by yourself and that's where i see and you know and this is for another yeah. discussion but that, you know that's where i think christianity especially judaism you know is, but there is a person of some kind triune person yeah. beyond who is able to draw out to repair or to affirm my true self who is in no way indebted to me uh like doesn't need me doesn't need my reciprocal affirmation doesn't need my contribution to their life project and so i can't i don't have to be suspicious of are they really just you know what right because mm -hmm. we we believe god you know in one sense doesn't need us right that's one of the christian affirmations but still delights in us this is the key kind of point does not yeah. need us does not need our affirmations yeah. of god so that god feels loved and understood and seen <laughs> you know and yet delights in us and sees and hears and understands us uh, and longs to be with us and as we're trying you know repairing all the breaches in the release right so this is a fundamental christian you know i think that deep down those other ones that you're kind of they just run out of gas like you can only affirm your true inner genius for so long before you're still going to burn right. out be frustrated or not find enough people who affirm you. And then you got to go on the offensive or you just, you're going to get to the top of Mount Everest. And then what the, you know, what are you going to do with your life? You reach your heroic yeah. action. And this happens all the time, right? Then the burnout is immediate. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what to do with my yeah. life yeah. anymore. I accomplished all my goals. I'm a billionaire. I'm a millionaire. I don't, I'm lost. Right. And then all of a sudden existential crisis kicks in. Yeah. All right. Well, we could go on and on and on. We're on the same page. Obviously. Yeah. You know, that, that, that is, that's a great synthesis. Yeah. That's great. Well, uh, any last thoughts um, that I, I really want to touch on the low anthropology piece, but I, you probably yeah, know the yeah, work yeah. of David Zoll. He wrote a whole book called Low Anthropology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we had him on the podcast yeah, yeah. earlier. Listeners can go yeah, find yeah. that one. But I do think this goes uh, hand in hand with what you're saying. Well, and you're absolutely. both kind of Lutheran influence. That probably has something to do with it too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah absolutely. What are, just to end on a practical note, what would be kind of the practices of confession and surrender then for people? Uh, you know, we don't want to say at the beginning, let's see, I wrote it down, uh, you know, beyonders say that human flourishing isn't the only goal. No, but certainly human flourishing isn't yeah. negated or impeded by, you know, and we sure. believe in Christ yeah. who is the true human that we find yeah. our humanity in him. 
Right. Um, so, but what would these confessions or paths of surrender kind of look like? Yeah. And it's, and it's most practical, I think. And, and this has been true of all six of these books is that there really is a beckoning to back to what it means to actually be in a disposition of prayer. Um, and, and to live in a disposition of, of prayer, which is in prayer itself is a surrender. You know, it is, it is a surrender to something beyond you to, to, to pray is to, to make a confession that you can't do this, that your own action, um, can't get you where you need to be, that you are, you are, that you are confessing that you're the kind of creature that needs God's intervention, that needs to be cared for. Um, so at its core, I think it's a disposition of prayer, but that also means that a huge piece of this, and I, and I think you've really said this well as we were just closing, is how the whole modern project, late modern project, is really set up to instrumentalize all of our relationships. So everything becomes instrumentalized. Um, so you're my friend as long as we, you know, or we're on each other's teams, as long as we're kind of, you're we're all pulling on the rope. You're going to podcast, right? You're going to yeah, share yeah, my yeah, right? post there's on a, social media, right? There's a quid pro quo <laughs> to, to everything. And I think one of the things that with this kind of lower anthropology or the sense that you have to put down your hands, put down your hands and receive something is it means that the relationships we have can just be gift and that they don't, every relationship doesn't have to be instrumentalized. So we're really called to our neighbor just to be with and for them as a witness to a God who is with and for us. Um, and, you know, I think this is the kind of core of the, the Christian move or the dialectic at the core is that when you, when you confess that you are in need, you find this God coming to minister to you. Um, and so this is, I think, ultimately the kind of spirituality or mysticism, um, that we, we get that can really bring us back to a living speaking God is to learn to be able to narrate and prayerfully tell our stories of our need. Um, and then as a community, try to be present in those, hear those well, um, put down our own hands to fix and just live with and walk with and pray for. Um, that ultimately is really what I'm, what I'm hoping for out of this. Yeah. I really, yeah, I really like that. I remember, um, that statement on prayer, like, are we still really praying? I found myself in a weird situation lately where it's like, I kind of want to distinguish prayer and meditation because I feel like everyone's talking about meditation mm -hmm. and it's like, I just want to be like, I'm so glad you're meditating, but are you still praying? Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and mm -hmm. I remember a long time ago in different circumstances, there was the sense I was with the whole group of people. Um, and it, all of a sudden I got the sense of like these people and they're talking about spiritualities, but the practice of prayer has stopped. And not only that, the idea of prayer has been slightly scorned. Like, oh, you still like pray? Like a child asking his dad yeah. for help? Like, you still do that? And I was like, yeah, I still do that. And it was like, I think my path is now going somewhere else. And I you know, kind of had to leave with this group of people. But it was that kind yeah. of practice of prayer. So anyways, thank you for yeah. that. Thank you for writing this book. For all of you who are listening or are watching on YouTube, um, it's a very suggested book. Um, it is the church in an age of secular mysticisms and then an, an even longer subtitle. I love long subtitles. Uh, why spiritualities <laughs> without God fail to transform us. Uh, and, and really I just, for everyone who's listening, it's, it's failed to ultimately and like, um, in a lasting way transform us. Certainly there are like yeah, steps yeah. 
on the path and many Absolutely. of us have probably bounced around between heroic action and i'm gonna i need to push through this and try a little harder and sometimes you do and then other times you need to rest mm -hmm. and find it like who am i really like i've been running around like so those aren't wrong or bad but they're incomplete is what i would say and i think that's what you're saying too yeah, absolutely is what I'd say. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for uh, taking time. Where can people find you or get a hold of your book and other things? Yeah, just to live in the complete performative exactly, contradiction exactly, of talking exactly. about optimizing the self and and then winning recognition. Yeah, people can actually, just find Andrew me, never uh, leaves I, his I, basement. You can't I, find him. You can find him right and here. This will be the and last I, time you hear from him. He is he is off. I'm out. Yeah. People, can, I have a website. If you Google. Andrew Root, you'll find it. It's andrewroot.org, which makes no sense that it's a .org, but it is. Um, and uh, yeah, you can find me there. Uh, that's probably the best. It's .org but, because it yeah. was cheaper than .com when you went around and got the website. That's why. That's exactly <laughs> I right. know, because I think I have like jeffholzglaude.net. So I was like, well, that's cheaper yeah, than yeah, yeah, .com. Yeah. Exa that's exactly what it was. Yeah. Well, thanks again for, for everything. Thank you for putting all your work into your teaching and ministering and uh, helping shape and form students and and then write books. So thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, it's been a great conversation.